The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I'm glad you're here. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time, welcome. I uh, would love to meet you after service, spend some time talking with you, um, and uh, uh, just introduce myself to you and get to know you. Um, so this is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, one of the things that I, I want us to, to do is understand there's a lot of great traditions around Memorial Day weekend, but I want us to get back to really what it is, is all about. It's not just a day off of work. It's not just a day where the appliances are on sale at 60% off, um, and uh, you know, I went to Home Depot and I was making a joke uh, yesterday that I had to go buy mulch. And I said, yeah, I went to the Home Depot Memorial Day mulch sale. And somebody goes, is that a real thing? I was like, no, but it could be. I could market it next year. Um, but this is, this is one of the most solemn of American holidays. Um, this, is, this is the day that is set aside for us as a nation uh, to remember um, those that have lost their lives and given their lives and paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. We have a, a lot of freedoms we enjoy in our nation. We have the freedom to assemble here today freely. We have the uh, freedom of, of, of religion, freedom of speech. We enjoy incredible freedoms that were paid for in, in, in blood and sacrifice of men and women who were willing to put themselves on a front line and, and to be involved to say, I, I am surrendering my life for freedom for future generations, and we get the benefit of that, and I don't ever want us to forget that. So I know that our traditions always include meat on a grill, unless you're a vegetarian, it's probably a portobello on a grill, or <laughs> tofu, um, if you can get it on a grill, I don't know, it just falls through. Um, but we always have these traditions, and uh, you know, my family, we have a tradition, we'll be doing that tomorrow, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. Tomorrow, just before you get into all your stuff, whether it's barbecuing or family coming over or whatever party you've got going on, just take some time to get, to get alone and thank God for the sacrifice of men and women that are willing to, to put on a uniform and to stand on a front line and to go in when, when, when most people were designed to run away from the battle. Uh, these men and women have run into it so that we could have the freedoms we have, so that you can have your barbecue tomorrow. And so don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget the men and women who have given everything uh, for us to have the freedoms we have. So spend some time tomorrow reflecting on that, and then get on with your traditions, and, and, and have a great time, have a great day off, and, uh, and, and here's, I do love traditions, but traditions can also get in the way. Traditions can become barriers uh, to the real meaning of things, and, and traditions in church can be difficult because I've been in a lot of churches where the tradition says, this is the way we've always done it, and those are famous dying words of a church. Um, those of you that know me, I have a real sarcastic and cynical nature, um, and so I, uh, you remember the, the posters, the accessories posters? Yeah, you know, they would be like these motivational sayings. There would be a turtle on a fence post and be this real artistic picture of a turtle sitting on this fence post. And then the caption at the bottom would read, no one gets to the top alone. You know, you remember those? I found one that fits more my style. Um, and it, it said, it was about tradition. And it's a guy doing the running of the bulls. And so he's running in Spain and he's looking back and there's these bulls barreling down on him. And the caption says, tradition. Sometimes we continue to do incredibly stupid things. And, and that just fits my speed more, more than the, the turtle on the fence post and all of that. But traditions, I think, are great as long as they don't get in the way. 
Because traditions, when they create a barrier for the true meaning of something and the reality of something, um, they're, they're not a good, it's not good. We've got to get back to some, some root meanings. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to say that about Memorial Day, because we, we, we can just get in this mode where, where we think that, you know, we look forward to Memorial Day weekend. It's unofficial start of summer. It's a day off. And we're like, man, I'm just, I'm looking forward to that. But let's not forget what that, what price was paid for us to have that. And what price was paid for us to get there? Jesus fought tradition. I mean, you have the religious establishment that Jesus ends up butting heads with that uh, they have their traditions and Jesus comes in and, and traditions, what, what we see is a lot of times in, in, in a religious setting, uh, that religious tradition can become a barrier for a true encounter with Christ. And we're finishing up our series today, Encountering Christ, and, and, and I want to go to Luke chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 6. If you don't have one, we got some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, uh, that's our gift to you. Happy Memorial Day. you got steak tomorrow and a Bible today. Um, or you can follow along on your smartphone, smart device, whatever, whatever function you use. I got in trouble in the first service because I made a joke against Android. I'm sure my inbox is blowing up about that right now, but... Um, I'll just delete those. I don't really care to read those about how Android is better than an iPhone. I really don't care. Um, so you can use whatever device you have. Um, if you've got a Commodore 64 you, that you can get on the web, I don't care. Um, some of y'all remember what that is. Some of you don't. Just Google it, man. It's, it's probably on YouTube. Um, and you can type in the DOS prompt and go from there. <laughs> okay, Luke chapter 6. Uh, so here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to go. I'm, I'm feeling good. I was on vacation last week, baby. I, I came back from the beach. Spent seven days laying on the beach. I highly suggest you try it sometime. I want to thank Alec, man. He called down the fire, did a great job. I'm glad to be back. But don't, don't go to the beach now, okay? We got, we got the word to deal with. So you can go to the beach later, okay? So bring your mind back into the word. Um, but I'm feeling good. And so it's easy for me to get off track today. Uh, anyway, on a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked plucked and ate some uh, heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Um, but the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, let me set up the scene. Jesus is walking through a wheat field with his disciples. And, and it was legal to eat from your neighbor's field. I mean, actual Levitical law says that you can eat in your neighbor's vineyard and in their orchard as long as you don't go in and harvest and take it out. So you could go in, like, I, you know, I could go into my neighbor's uh, grapevine and just sit there and eat grapes all day, and that's legal. I just can't take any out. And so they're walking through, and they're doing what's actually legal. They're, you know, if you don't think Jesus is granola, you're wrong, because they're, they're eating. That's like, that's true wheat, okay? So they're stripping the heads off the grains of wheat, and they're taking them and rubbing them in their hand. What that's doing is rubbing the husk off of it, and then they're eating the wheat. And so the, the Pharisees are watching Jesus because when, when Jesus comes up against tradition, he's going to butt heads with it because the tradition can become a barrier to Christ. And Jesus loves breaking those barriers. God does not like barriers that keep us in the way of a full relationship with him. And so the Pharisees are watching Jesus because he's already ticked them off a couple times. I mean, he, he cast out a demon in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was healing on the Sabbath. And, and for, for the Pharisees to do something on the Sabbath was an extreme disrespect to them. 
um, because they had touted themselves on how well they could follow the rules. And, and for the, the religious folks, the, the, the Pharisees in particular, they had certain things that they hung on to. Everything else they feel had been stripped away. So they held on to this Sabbath and we're going to control the Sabbath and you're going to do what we say on the Sabbath. And they had created all these rules around this tradition of the Sabbath that really kept people from experiencing God. And Jesus does not like that. So they're asking Jesus, because he's ticked them off. They're watching him going, why are you letting your disciples do what's not lawful? You're breaking the law on the Sabbath. And so Jesus gets into this, and he says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Okay, to understand context, those are going to be very confrontational words. Because Jesus is saying to uh, a religious elite who would know David, who would have read and studied and knew everything about the Old Testament. Jesus is like, have you never read about David? I mean, that's, that's like a smack in the face. And so he's doing it. You know, he doesn't deal with them softly. He's dealing with them honestly. And he's getting their attention so he can teach them something. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those with him. And then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is, is using this moment to teach them and draw a parallel between he and David. And he's really trying to teach the religious people. And he's, he's having to use some firm language to kind of break through that shell. And so what, what he's saying is, um, remember David, the greatest king of Israel. And, and you've studied him. You know him. And, and what... When he went in and ate the bread of the presence, that wasn't lawful when he gave it. See, what would happen, the bread of presence, that's in 1 Samuel 21, if you want to write that down and go back and read that story. But, but uh, David goes in with his people, and the, the priest is on the Sabbath. They laid out the bread for the priest to eat. David and his, his companions were hungry, and so they give them the bread. And they give the bread. Here, here's what you have to understand. David was the greatest king of Israel, but at this point... He had not yet assumed the throne, but he had been appointed and he was anointed to be king. So when he comes in, the priests know that this is the anointed king and we're going to feed the anointed one. And when Jesus says the Lord, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's drawing a parallel with himself and David. Jesus is also known as the son of David. Um, that he would sit on the throne of David. He is in the, the heir and the line of David. And he's drawing a parallel with David to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He, the parallel is this. Jesus is anointed king of kings and lord of lords. But he has not yet sat on his throne at this point in time. He left his throne in heaven to come to earth to be our rescue, to be our source of reconciliation, to give his life on a cross so that you and I could be redeemed and reconciled in relationship with God. But he's, he's drawing this parallel saying, I'm anointed and appointed to be king of kings and lord of lords, and I am the lord of the Sabbath, but I've not yet sat on my throne. It's what theologians call this already but not yet. See, when David was anointed, um, Saul was still the king. Samuel shows up to Jesse's house. Jesse is David's dad and says, I need to see your sons because one of them is going to be king. Jesse shows his, his best sons to Samuel, and Samuel's like, no, nah, none of those guys are it. So do you have any other sons? Jesse says, well, I've got one, but he's not going to fit your qualifications. You don't want to meet him. He says, send him in here. Bring him in. When he walks in, the Lord says to Samuel, anoint that boy. He is the king. What's, what I love about David, and I love this about God, that he doesn't pick the best of the best. He picks the people that are submitted and humble to him that he can work in and work through. David's anointed to be king over Israel, and he goes right back out to tending the sheep. 
It was his faithfulness in tending the sheep that he dealt with the lion, that he dealt with the bear. It was his faithfulness that when he took food to his brothers on the front line who were fighting a man named uh, the Philistine army and led by a man named Goliath, that David finds himself in an altercation in defeating and killing Goliath. It's that faithfulness. And, and David's popularity is picking up at this point. But, but David had not yet assumed the throne. And so that's already but not yet. He's already been anointed for the throne, but he's not yet sitting on it. Jesus has drawn this parallel. I am anointed as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah and the Savior of the world. But I've, I am already that, but I'm not yet sitting on that throne. And he's drawn this parallel. You and I live in that same tension. That when you and I give our, our life to Christ and we confess him as Lord and Savior and we humble ourselves and ask for his forgiveness and for him to be the Lord of our life, then what happens is you and I are redeemed for the kingdom of God. We are viewed in God's eyes through the blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross, that sacrifice for our freedom and our reconciliation. God looks at us through that and says, you are the righteousness of God. And so we live as the righteousness of God for that kingdom, but we're not yet there. We live in this, this, the world system. So we find ourselves in this system that we're constantly struggling in this back and forth. And Jesus is, is drawing these parallels. And he's trying to break the religious leaders, the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath, that, that you're, you're getting on to my guys for eating wheat when you're missing the point of the Sabbath. Then, then it goes on in verse, verse six. It says, on another Sabbath... Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. We've got to be very careful about what we're watching for. I mean, it is, is easy. We, we like to pick on religion. We like to pick on um, traditions and we, we find those easy targets. But we've got to be careful about what we're watching it's because we'll find ourselves wanting to be in grace and working in grace and operating in grace and not become this crusty religious freak that just doesn't do any good. And so we always watch that and go, I don't want to be that. But, but how easy it is after time in church that we just start to let these traditions around us become encrusted and they just, they, they, they just solidify us into this, this religious system that creates barriers to Jesus. So we've got to be careful what we watch for. When we come to church, are we watching for people to fall? Because here's the thing. Church is a collection of messy people. And we don't have to look far to see mess. I mean, mess is sitting right beside of you. Mess is standing before you right now. We don't have to look far to, for, to find the mess. And so when we come to church, are we looking to find justification in ourselves because someone else we find messier than us? Are we looking to bring accusations? Are we going, see, I, I knew that wasn't true because I knew this whole gospel thing and Jesus couldn't be true because of the way Christians act. I mean, Gandhi even said it. He said, I could have been a Christian had it not been for your Christians. So what are we watching for when we get around the people of God? I mean, the Pharisees missed the point. They're in the synagogue. They're in church. But they're watching to see if Jesus is going to slip up so they can find a fault in him and accuse him. Or do we come to church to find ourselves solely immersed in the presence of a holy God to worship him and serve him and to be in that presence and to be in the presence with other people that we can help get into the presence of God so that we leave transformed? 
I mean, in reality, what, what, do we want to see people fall in church? Or we get to a point where we, we look around and go, I know what they did last week. Y'all better be the first to the altar after the end of the service. Matter of fact, you just better jump up now and say, I need to repent and just come up and I'll feel better about that. Or do we sit in church going, you know who needs to hear this? I mean, I've heard messages and I've been sitting there and I'm going, God, I know who I need to share this with. And God's like, you. <laughs> like, no, 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 God. No, you know who needs to hear this. He's like, you. I'll put you in a place for you to hear it. I'll, I'll speak to other people. Or do we come into church to see, to watch Jesus, to see what he can do in us and do something through us? It, it's a difference in our motive and our focus and our heart. And so Jesus, he perceives the minds. He knows the hearts. And so this is what's going on. So he says, um, verse eight, but he knew, but Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, he's, he's saying this to everyone, but he's, he's pointing it at the, the Pharisees. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or destroy it? So he's putting the question before them to say, you know, I'm asking you, this man with a withered hand is standing before me. This man is in need of healing. This man is in need of an encounter with Christ. So I'm asking you, based on your traditions and the rules that you've set up around your traditions, what's right, to do good or to do harm? To save his life or, or to, to, to let it go, to let him go away. So it's kind of like what James said, that if, if we know what we ought to do and don't do it, it's sin. And then you go back for, uh, in James chapter two when he's talking about faith and works and faith without works is dead. He said, how in the world could any of you see somebody who is desperately in need of clothing and food and as a Christ follower, as someone who has faith at work in them, go up and say, be warm and well-fed and go on your way? You've missed the point. And Jesus is trying to put the point right in front of them to say, you answer me. Is it, is it right to do good or do evil, to do harm, to heal this man or not? Because the Pharisees had created all these regulations around the tradition of the Sabbath. One of their, one of their rules that they, they made said that if your livestock falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, you can save it which brings a message for another day, actually. You know, get your donkey out of the ditch. Um, 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 we'll, we'll come back to that one. But they had created all these rules. And so Jesus is saying, okay, your rules say you can save your livestock, but what about a human? What about this man whose life is more precious? And then it says that he looked at them. He, he looked around at all of them. Can you imagine that stare down with Jesus? I mean, he just called you out. And you're like, ooh, 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 I think I need to go to the bathroom. You know, you're, you know, hey, I think I saw my kid's number up on the screen. I need to go get that, you know. What was that last point, Jesus? I'm trying to catch up. So he looks around. He, he's, then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand was restored. But they, the religious people, they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Restoration is always something to celebrate. An encounter with Jesus is always something to celebrate. 
But if we've let a tradition and our rules and regulations create a barrier to that celebration, create a barrier to restoration, create a barrier to that encountering of Christ, we have missed the point. And so these religious leaders, they're seething because Jesus has broken their traditions of the Sabbath. Let me, let me kind of explain for some of you, because some of you are like, what, what is a Sabbath? Um, where did this come from and what is this? A lot, I know a lot of people in our church are new to the scriptures and new to church. So let me, let me, understand, let me help you understand and explain what Sabbath means. Um, it came from Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. It's number four on the top ten list. And it's as important to God. In Exodus 20, this is what, this is what the Lord told Moses. Um, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God implemented this rhythm into life, this rhythm of rest. And he set this as a model for us. It's not that God needed the rest. It's not that God spent six days speaking everything into existence and on the seventh day going, whew, all of my creative juices are gone. I just spent it all the last six days. I got to chill out. God doesn't need that. He is, he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He holds us in his hand. And he implemented this as a rhythm for our life, a rhythm for us to have rest. Because a lot of our lives don't, don't get into this. And, and, and what's happening here is Jesus is trying to get the religious leaders to step back off of their tradition and the rules around the tradition to get back to the relationship that the Sabbath was given for. Because God has given this Sabbath for us to get into these rhythms, to step out of the, the busyness and, and, and encounter Christ even through the rest that's in our life. Rest is vital for us. Rest creates space for us to recover and repair. Every one of us are busy. We don't, we don't need to get into a busy comparison. Here's what we can all know about every one of us. We're busy. That's the system of the world. The, the, the busy has a different rhythm. The busy rhythm and the rhythm of rest, they don't, they don't jive. It's kind of like, you know, the, there, there's an art, I guess. Some are calling it art whether you take two songs and mash them together. Um, I don't like that. Maybe I'm traditional. Maybe I'm running the bulls. I don't know. But let me, the other day I was in the gym and, and Eye of the Tiger came on. If you don't know what Eye of the Tiger is, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but there's this guitar lick that starts at the beginning of Eye of the Tiger. And I hear that and I'm just like, let's go. You know, I'm ready to go. I mean, Eye of the Tiger. I mean, I'm, I'm like, here we go. And then all of a sudden, Another song is like meshed into this. And I'm like, whoa, my mojo just left. What just happened to the music? And, and I'm like, that just, that, that doesn't compute. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm getting older, you know, and I'm like, these kids and their music, you know, but like, what happened to the good stuff? But I was like, that doesn't fit. And I was like, can you change that song, please? He's like, why? I was like, because it sucks. <laughs> okay. So busy has a rhythm. God has established this rhythm of rest. 
And we've got to be, here's the thing, we have to take control. We, we've got to not let ourselves just fall into the busy and to be able to manage this rhythm of rest in our life. Because it doesn't just happen. It's, it's that system. We're redeemed for the, 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 the kingdom of heaven, but we still live in a system that's gonna continue to drive us and keep us busy and keep us busy and keep us busy. And it's amazing how we just we justify busy. I'm the same way. I'm preaching to a mirror this morning. We just, I mean, the church is growing. It's just, I don't have time to take off. I, everything's going, there's a lot of need going on in the church and there's just a lot of things happening and I just, I justify busy and that's wrong. And we all do it. We get in this justifying our busyness and, and we, we think that we can get into this rhythm of busy and somehow maintain our sanity. And eventually we get to a point, we hit the wall, we say, I can't do this anymore. Or, or we find ourselves, I, I used to be terrible about this. I would go, 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 and then I would just get sick. And God says, if you're not going to implement a rhythm of rest, I'm going to make you rest. And when you get sick, it's amazing what the doctor does. They give you, they give you some medication with a side effects list about this long. Um, you're like, I think I'll just deal with the, the, the runny nose, you know. Death? No, I'll deal with the runny nose. But they tell you to do this. Drink a lot of fluids and get rest. It's amazing what rest does for our body, how it gives us the ability to recover and recoup. And, and it's amazing the damage that stress causes to our body. I mean, this excessive, crazy stress that we constantly find ourselves in. And I'm not saying that the, the antidote to that is no stress in our life. We need stress in our life. I mean, we, we need a balance of the, the, this guitar behind me. The, the string has the right amount of stress so when the note is played, it doesn't sound terrible. Too much stress, it's gonna break. But it, it, it does what it is intended to do. We need that right amount of stress in our life so we, we live the purpose that God's created us to live, but we're not so wound up that we break. Or we, we, we don't have enough stress in our life so we're just really ineffective. I mean, it, there's a balance in it and God works in that balance. And in that balance, he says, you've got to be in this rhythm of rest, that you get into this cycle of spending time with me. Let me recover you. Let me restore you. Let me, let my presence just wash over you and just take these times, implement them into the flow of your life. Implement a day off in your life. Most Americans, there's a study, most Americans are too scared to take vacation because they're worried they'll lose their job when they get back. That's the rhythm of busy. That's the rhythm of stress. Implement this into your day off and, and, and take those regular days off. I mean, this is a three-day weekend, but we can still be too busy to have any rest. Schedule your rest Manage that rest. You know, we talk a lot in church about being good stewards and 
Steward just means being a good manager. So be a good manager of your money. You know, we, we talk about, you know, be faithful with the money that God trusts you with. And so, so be faithful in the tithe and giving. So we, we give so God can bless. And God blesses when we are faithful with that. And we manage that money. And we manage our relationships. We manage our families. We manage our time. We manage our, our resources. We manage our talents and giftings and abilities. But we talk about this management of time. And, and we're called to be good stewards of our time. And I don't... I don't necessarily like to call it time management. I like to call it energy management because we all have the same 24 hours in a day. I don't get more time than you get. You don't get more time than I get. It's how we use our energy in that time that we have. And we've got to manage that. We've got to be a leader and take control of that. Otherwise, time just gets away. And here's the difference. Most people are worried about money. Let me tell you what I've learned about money. It goes and it comes. It goes and it comes. It goes and it comes. Let me tell you about time. It goes. So let's manage that. Steward that. Steward that rhythm of our rest. On your day off, you know, get away from the emails and the phones. If you want to see how addicted to phones and technology you are, do a 24-hour fast of one. I tried it. I felt like a heroin addict jonesing, man. I'm telling you, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> ding, that's my phone. You know, you know, I'm walking around. I don't even have my phone on me. I'm like, Zzz. I feel it, phantom buzzing, phantom buzzing. You know, what's going on? Where's it at? You know, I mean, it's like, I just, I, just, I just need a text. I just need a text, man. Come on, I'll give you anything for a text. I mean, we get that way. We're so trapped by our phones. You know, last week on vacation, no emails. You know what? It was awesome. It, I was like, oh my gosh. And you know what I did with a bunch of emails when I got home? Swipe, delete, swipe, delete, swipe, delete, swipe. It was a wonderful exercise. Whoo, don't need that, don't need that. I, I have gone to, it, it's awesome. And, and, and step away from the technology. Implement some time in your life so that you can have that solitude. Solitude is vital. Solitude, see, you got rest, and then you got solitude creates space for real fulfillment. See, every one of us are looking for fulfillment. Every one of us are in a country song, and we want love and fulfillment. Some of y'all want a new truck and a dog. I get that. But, um, but we're all looking for fulfillment. And the world has no shortage of things that it throws at us to say, this is what's gonna fulfill you. This is what's gonna fulfill you. But the real fulfillment we find is only found in the presence of God. And we only get that when we're able to experience solitude. And you don't get solitude without silence. And most of us are scared to death of silence. I mean, look at, look at Jesus. I mean, after he, he dealt with the Pharisees and dealing with all this, um, it, it goes on and it says that in these days, verse 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, who he'd named Peter. We've talked a lot about him. And Peter is, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew. Matthew's name was Levi. And Simon, who was called the Zealot. Do some research on that cat, man. Totally different views when Jesus called him to follow him. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So, so Jesus got away. He spent time in solitude. In Luke chapter 4, it says that he went to a desolate place, that he was willing to get away and experience the solitude. 
And some theologians were arguing. It's funny, I was reading this week, and, and theologians are arguing like, well, Jesus is God. He's fully God. He's fully man. So the argument was this, that, that when he went to the mountain, he already knew who he was going to call to be apostles. He just went to set a model for us. And then some theologians are like, no, 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 no. He's fully God. He's fully man. He needed the revelation from the Holy Spirit, and he got that on the mountain. And so while they're, they're arguing about that, you know what? In the middle is this point. Jesus got alone to pray to his father. Jesus had an incredible decision to make in the morning and he got alone, he got quiet and he prayed in solitude to his father. He came out with the peace of God that transcends understanding and he made the decision. Have you ever made a decision you regret? I mean, don't be elbowing somebody beside of y'all. Some of you are like, I'm sitting beside my, my don't know. We've got a marriage conference coming up in June. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. We'll talk about other rhythms then. But um, when I make a decision I regret, and I kind of do this, I kind of debrief it in my mind or do, do, do this hot wash in my mind while it's still fresh and, and just, what happened? Why did I make that decision? What, what, why or how did that go down like that? Let me tell you some things that I end up finding when I do that reflection. I'm tired. I haven't been resting. I'm trying to make decisions into my, on my own ability and my own power. I've not prayed about that decision. And I come out of that going, I made that decision from a rhythm of busyness and not a rhythm of rest, and I didn't get alone with God to make that decision. Solitude is vital for us, and you, you can't have solitude without silence, and, and we're scared of silence because we're surrounded by noise all the time. Most of us have apps that, that we have white noise that we sleep to. We got to have noise to sleep. If you don't have an app, you have a fan, or you got something. We, we always have to have noise around us, and noise is constantly going on around us. And, and when I say solitude and silence, you can, you, you can go and live in the desert. You can be completely by yourself. I mean, I know introverts that that would be heaven for them. But you still wouldn't be silent. Silence is intentional. Just as a rhythm of rest and observing the Sabbath that God gave us is intentional, silence, solitude, rest, these are intentional. And we've got to get alone in that silence. There's incredible things that can happen in that silence. Elijah in 1 Kings 19. See, Elijah had called down fire from heaven and he had, he had slaughtered the prophets, the false prophets. And I mean, just on this, should be extremely high with God. And then the king's wife, Jezebel, sends him a note, says, I'm gonna kill you. And he takes off running. And God provides for him this incredible story. If you've never read about Elijah, highly recommend you go into 1 Kings and read about Elijah. But in chapter 19, God says, Elijah, I'm going to speak to you. And he, he brings him to this cave. And, and, and there, was, uh, there was earthquakes. There was a fire. There was a great wind. But in verse 12, it says, after the earthquake and fire, um, the Lord wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. But after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. If you look at the footnotes in your scripture, it says, or a sound a thin silence. God speaks to Elijah. It's amazing what happens in silence. 
So many of us are wondering, God, why don't you speak to me? Why don't you speak to me? Why don't you speak to me? God may be waiting for us to get silent so that he could speak. But here's the thing we have to understand about silence. Sometimes in the silence, God's not going to speak. He just wants to wash us in his presence. You ever have those friends and those times, and Heather and I experienced this, that we can have the greatest conversation we've ever had without saying a word? Are you willing to get silent in the presence of God and just let his presence minister to you? That's, it's not so much about hearing God's voice, but about experiencing his presence. And God didn't give the tradition of the Sabbath for us to create rules and create barriers to keep us from a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He gave us this to create this rhythm in our life, to be able to step out of the busy, to be able to step out of the, the incredible stress and get alone in the silence, to be recovered in the presence of God, to be restored by that rest. And Jesus said, all who are weary, come to me, and I will give you rest. We're tired. It's time to change the rhythm. See, let me, let me tell you what I know. The crazy stress, the constant activity, the busyness, that we, even spiritual activity that we get into is not the mark of a son or daughter who's been adopted by the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the mark of a spiritual slave who continues to stay busy thinking that their activity is gonna earn God's favor and love. And you and I are not called to try to earn God's love. He longs to be with you. He longs to have his presence recover and restore you as a son and as a daughter, not as somebody that he wants to keep busy going, if you do this, I'll love you. That's not holiness. That's not righteousness. That's not a rhythm of rest that God established for us. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions and then I want us to do something. It may be awkward, but we're gonna spend some time in silence. And I, the questions I want to ask you is, as, as I've been talking, I know I've been preaching to me. And I, I, I mean, if none of you, some of y'all, you might still be on the beach, but I know this message is for me. But do you have rhythms in your life that allow rest and solitude? Are you okay with silence? Not silence that you're waiting for God to speak, but just are you okay with silence to be in God's presence to receive the fulfillment that only comes in his presence? To know that he is with you and that he's for you, whether he says a word in that silence or not. Is that enough? For some of us, it's not enough for the silence. We... we want God to speak to us, but God says, I just want to spend time with you. So let's, let's get silent for a minute, and then I'll pray us out.
God, sometimes silence can be so awkward. But we know that when we're in this rhythm of grace and rhythm of rest and rhythm of relationship with you, that silence can be so fulfilling. God, some of us have just let the busyness wither our life. And we're like this, this man that, that we need restoration. So God, we're stretching our hand out to you. And we're asking for your restoration in our life. And we're asking for your fulfillment in our life. And Jesus, we thank you for removing the barriers to a relationship with you. Thank you for removing the barriers so that we can have an encounter with your presence. Thank you, God, for establishing and creating these rhythms in our life and forgive us when we've allowed the rhythms of the world to drive us instead of what you've created us for. And I pray that you give the courage to that person in this room this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, that's never submitted their life to you, that's never even had that rhythm of grace and rhythm of relationship with you established in their life. I pray that you give them the courage now to just call on you and say, Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Lord. I'm asking you to forgive me I'm asking you to create in me a rhythm of relationship with you. God, help us to change rhythms in our life. And as we spend time, as we manage this, as you give us the wisdom and ability to manage this, that we spend time and rest with you, I pray that you fulfill us, redeem us, recover us, restore us in that rest and solitude. So we're reaching out our hand to you, God. We pray this in the name that is above all names, who is the anointed, appointed King of kings and Lord of lords, who now sits on his throne forevermore, the most powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com.